HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised uh, livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com Good morning, or rather good afternoon, and welcome to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and I'll be talking today with veteran journalist Sam Fromartz. Sam is the editor-in-chief and sits on the board of directors of a new journal, Food and Environment Reporting Network. He has uh, written articles for Inc., Fortune, Business Week, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and The Atlantic. Uh, he has also written a book called Organic Inc., Natural Foods and How They Grew. And he is currently working on a book about grains and bread. Um, he lives in Washington, D.C. He blogs at ChooseWise, and that's spelled C-H-E-W-S. W-I-S-E. And that's how I got to know about Sam was reading his blog, Choose Wise, which um, kind of alternates between uh, political polemic and um, just down home good information about baking breads and other foods. Um, Sam, welcome to the program. And thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, it's a real pleasure. Um, you've been a very elusive character, so I, I'm glad I finally uh, nailed you down here. Um, I'm excited about your journal, a Food and Environment Reporting Network. Um, so why don't you uh, first tell us a little bit about you and how you got into into putting this thing together? Yeah, well, I mean, going, going way back, my background was really as a business journalist, a business writer, mm-hmm. and I got more and more into food and... Um, Kind of branched out from from you know business to, to, to wider topics in 
you know, agriculture and environmentalism and, um, you know, sort of culminating in my first book, Organic Inc. And, um, but the FERN, as we call it, the Food and Environment Reporting Network, we were really responding to what we saw as kind of rising interest in food and agricultural issues at the same time as there was, you know, declining coverage in the media just because of the cutbacks that were going on. And this was especially happening to, you know, in-depth kind of investigative reporting, and that's the kind of stories that we're really interested in in um, producing. So, yeah. Um, I was going to say how, uh, you know, I never f- was aware, and I, I've been in the food business a really long time, I don't feel like there was ever any real in-depth reporting about the agricultural industry um, or any consumer interest in it until, you know, basically until the omnivore's dilemma came out. Did you feel right. like that was happening before that, or was I just not paying attention? Well, I think, I mean, there was really two, there was two main camps of, of readers, and I think one you know, our, if we could broadly call them consumers, you know, we go to the food section for, for recipes and tips and that kind of thing, yeah. you know, and more recently, you know, stories about star chefs. And the other, the other avenue was probably the journalism you, did, you didn't see, which is really sort of hardcore agricultural journalism aimed at either, you know, commodities markets or large-scale farmers that really depend on knowing what's happening in commodity markets. And that... You know, that kind of news and information can be pretty in-depth and pretty, um, you know, pretty pretty market-driven. But um, Pretty um, eye-glazing, too, to the layman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really aimed at a specific kind of, you know, very specific, you know, trader or business audience. And so, sure. you know, and occasionally there were, you know, there were books that, um, you know, would break out. And, you know, I'm thinking even back to... Um, you know, Silent Spring, which, which, you know, dealt with DDT, which was an agricultural chem- chemical. So that, True. you know, that had a huge impact. Um, and, um, uh, you know, so there have been, um, you know, there have been, you know, bits and pieces all along, but I, I would agree it's not, it's not really a major, uh, a, a major focus. And I think that's what we're really trying to hope to, uh, to change. You know. Absolutely. So, how will how will the Food and Environmental Reporting Network be different from, say, Grist or Civil Eats? I mean, those are, I guess, right. blogs, but they kind of cover the same material, right? Right. Well, well, the thing about blogs is that um, you know they they really depend on kind of you know uh, you have to you have to keep feeding the beast. You know? Yeah. And um, what we're doing is really funding stories. That and commissioning stories that um, you know could take several weeks or, or in some cases months, you know, to to report and to prepare. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is, you know, um, um, sending you know reporters down to to you know really spend some time covering a story. And you know, for, for blogs, for the most part, they don't do that. You know, they'll link to certain to stories that they see that are covered by the media. Um, but they won't do, uh, uh, you know, a lot of in-depth uh, reporting. You right. Know, more, more, I would call it, you know, more traditional reporting. So I understand. That's what we're really hoping to. That's what we're really hoping to do. That's and how you'll our differentiate. Our so much different than that. Um, you know, we're we're partnering with media companies to, to place these stories rather than creating our own 
distribution channel on the web. I mean, we'll have we'll have the stories on our own website, but we're not we're not aiming to create the next grist or you know mm-hmm. something like that. So, when you say you're going to have media partners, are you talking about like uh, mainstream newspapers or, or or magazines that would pick up a story from from your network and you and publish it in their print or online version? Is that right, what you mean? Right, and we'll actually work with the, with the publication to craft a story that, that really works for them. Uh-huh. So it's very similar to a, um, you know, what might be thought of as a freelancer publication relationship um, in the sense that we're pitching them on the idea and having you know, them sort of involved you know, in the very early stages as opposed to, say, a wire service that just sends out copy and you, know, you can use it if you want. Um, we're really trying to craft a story that that works for them, um, you know. But would all, which also works for us in terms of you know our focus and our our mission. So do you so, think? Um, go ahead. So I was going to say, do you think that? So in other words, some of your stories might appear, for instance, in the Atlantic or in the Economist or something like that, or 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 will it be more? Yeah, newspaper. Yeah, we're we're hoping to get a really wide range of partners, and mm-hmm. we're 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 talking to to several now, and. Um, I mean, some are in the works, and we're just—you know—we can't—we can't reveal them yeah, until the stories appear. But, sure. um, but uh, yeah, it'll be a, a, a range of magazines and newspapers, and and also websites as well. So well, that's exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, but it'll be—you know—I hope the content will stand out in the sense that, you know, we'll be writing about things that people probably haven't heard of, um, and you know, discussing them in in a way that is. You know that it's really thorough, so it won't be. You know, it won't just be a quick hit on on you know on a study that we happen to see or something. We'll actually, you know, it might using using that kind of hypothetical. You know, it would be you know talking to the scientists, you know, seeing what the issues are, um, you know, really getting into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's really what we're what we're trying to do. Well, I'll be looking forward to your um, next story on nanoparticles in our food chain because. That's right. my that's my latest freak out, and I noticed I did a show about it last week, and I noticed Marion Nessel simultaneously had it up on her blog. So um, yeah, oh, really? yeah. yeah, oh yeah, it's because it's not regulated. It's a completely unregulated right. technology. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question, and we're going to take a quick break. But um, you have on your website for Fern, you have a code of ethics, and I thought I read it through very carefully, and I thought it was really interesting that you published that. Why did you feel that was necessary? Well, we want to make clear that we're a journalistic organization, and so that we adhere to cert- certain, um, you know, journalistic values and, and methods and ethics. And you know, that is really in distinction to, you know, an advocacy organization. We're not, you know, we're not like a advocacy nonprofit on, on a particular set of issues. We're really, you know, a set of reporters who are looking into into issues. And so, um, you know, we have certain ethics that guide the way we work, and we, we feel it's really important for people to understand that the distinction and, and, and how, we, how we actually do conduct ourselves. And, um, you know, and that may be in distinction to, to websites as well, which, which may not, you know, talk about, um, you know, how they, how, what their methods are or, or how they operate. And huh. so we're just trying to spell it out from the, from the get-go. Very interesting. Well, um, let's take like a, a 10 second break, Jack, and then we'll be right back with Sam Fromartz, uh, the new editor in chief of Food and Environmental Reporting Network.
We are back on straight. No chaser. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're broadcasting uh, from the Heritage Radio Network in the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Brunch is being served, folks. 261 Moore Street. It's definitely worth the trip. Um, on the line with me today is my guest, Sam Fromartz. Sam is the new editor of a brand new journal called Food and Environmental Reporting Network. He's also a has a long history of writing for many, many publications um, and blogs at ChooseWise, which is a wonderful food blog that covers both. Um, I don't know what to say, Sam. Like the from the from the you know the enormous to the to the mundane to the quotidian. I mean, it's one day it's bre- one day it's bread, and the next day it's you know subtherapeutic antibiotic use. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah, great. It's, I love it, the blog. It's it, terrific. Yeah, I kind of, you know, I've asked friends whether I should whether I should focus the blog on, you know, a particular, you know, a particular direction. They just say, no, just do it as you've been doing it because it really reflects your personality. Oh, and totally. So, um, you know, so I, you know, so I'll have everything from from book recommendations to, um, you know, posts about, you know, feeding people in Africa. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. It really. It really um, it really represents everything you know that are that are my interests exactly and i you know and so you never know what you're going to see so it's always a pleasure to open it up and think okay what's he going to do this time <laughs> anyway i right. totally recommend it it's it's wonderful and it's always so well informed i mean not to fawn too much on you but you know it really is good you're such a good writer so um well, thank you so much oh you're so welcome um so now in this segment of straight no chaser um i want to talk a little bit more about fern and the inaugural story that you ran is describes the battle between concerned citizens in New Mexico and an industry, which in this case was the dairy industry and the placement of dairy and sort of all of the issues around waste um, and waste management uh, that that have to do with uh, running industrial agricultural operations. So why did you pick, why was this the first story you wanted to do and and what made you feel it was so relevant? I mean, there, you know, when you look at industrial agriculture, there are so many places where you could have jumped off and (laughs) um, this particular story, you know, I thought was an interesting choice to make. What was it about it that really turned you on? Right. Well, I mean, there was a couple of things. One, it's a, you know, as as you mentioned, it's a very relevant topic in terms of it deals with with dairy waste, essentially waste from dairy farms, and cows produce a lot of it, and mm-hmm. what what happens to it, and it and it focuses on um, the dairy industry in New Mexico, which most people probably don't know, you know, is one of the largest in the country. I believe it and ranks so, ninth. That state, I think that state you, you mentioned in the article ranks ninth in terms of dairy production, which is huge. Right, right. And in the West, it's, it's you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's even more notable if you narrow it to that, you know, that area. Mm-hmm. But, but um, the, the interesting, you know, the, the, the reason we chose that story, um, one, we like, we really like this, this, this reporter, and um, she's pretty young and, you know, just a real go-getter. And so... Um, she had come to us with this with this story, and what what the other thing that I that I so I was confident in the person who was doing it, and then secondly, um, the protagonist is this guy who's you know really concerned about the pollution emanating from these dairies, and one was going to be built in his backyard, and you know you would think this is like a typical kind of Sierra Club activist uh, type person, and um, you know what I love is. <laughs> 
on the uh, you know the the big photo of the guy on the front page of the story. He's wearing his NRA hat. And, you right. know, he's not your typical environmentalist, but that kind of makes it, makes the point. It's just you know these are just you know situations that that people face in their own backyards, and they you know and and um, you know they're concerned about them, and they come you know from all walks of life. It's not it's not you know it doesn't fit into our sort of neat idea of, of who's who's concerned about these issues or who's... Who's going to be an activist. Uh, right, Especially. right, exactly. And so the other thing that I really liked about this story was that in having this character and 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 really this narrative about about what he did to, to oppose these dairies, it, it, was a, it was a vehicle to explain what might be pretty arcane regulations on how to how to uh, regulate dairy effluent. You know, yeah. and most people are not going to take the time, you know, to to read a story about regulations. But this really showed sort of the politics behind how regulations get get written. And so I really liked uh, that angle of the story as well. Well, that leads me to my next question, which was: in the story, your reporter describes the mobilization of the dairy industry and the uh, you know in, to counter this man's citizens action group and um and the astonishing astonishing ease with which they were able to uh secure the ear of the incoming governor who immediately um you know took the dairy the dairy industry side without apparently even sort of reflecting on the the concept of drinking water being polluted and the impact of effluent on, you know, groundwater supplies and so forth. And, you know, that to me just, it's just, it's endemic to the culture that right. uh, that industry and government are absolutely, you know, in bed together at, and, and re, you know, true environmental risks, such as the one described in the story to people's drinking water, really did not play into her thinking, apparently, um, at least not the way right. it was reported in the story. And I, you know, do you think that your journal could have an impact on how people perceive that, that marriage between industry and government and, um, you know, start sort of occupying Wall Street movements al- around the country just to kind of combat that sort of cronyism? Right, right. Well, yeah, but there's, I mean, the story was a little more complicated than that, too, because the what happened was industry had gone to the state legislature to get a new set of, of industry-friendly laws, mm-hmm. which, which were passed. But when it came time to writing the regulations for the laws, um, there was a, uh, you know, another, another uh, person named in the story, I mean, one of the regulators, was very concerned about uh, groundwater pollution. And so, um, so they did rewrite the regulations, but in a way that actually, um, in a very contentious process, actually ended up uh, achieving a lot of the goals that the, that the citizens, uh, you know, activists wanted to achieve in terms of regulating where these dairies could be located, you know, how much effluent they could release, how, you know, how that effluent was stored, all of that. And so, in a sense, Yes, the, 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 the industry had the legislature on its side and the governor on its side, you know, for, but, but what, what uh, you know, when it came to kind of the sausage-making of the regulations mm-hmm. and taking into account, you know, all of the issues, um, you know, raised, raised here, you know, that, that a decent set of, not, not only a decent, but a, a set of regulations were written that were, that, you know, that the, that the writer suggests, you know, could be a model for the West. So it did have kind of a, a, a good... You know, a good ending, and and actually the, the 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 dairy which was proposed to be built in this guy's 
you know, backyard, which she was very concerned about, I mean, that, that dairy was never built. Right, so, and instead um, it's going to be developed as a housing development. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which so, I guess so I think it, in, like, distinction to Occupy Wall Street, I think what, what this shows is, you know, is how kind of using the machinery of government rather than just kind of, you know, occupying a park, but actually, you know, mobilizing and organizing and, um, and, and doing the, the really heavy lifting of, of, of trying to influence, you know, laws and regulations. Yeah, the other side is going to always do that. The industry is going to do that. But, you know, the activists, um, you know, can, can, can do that as well. And maybe it'll, in, in this case, at least it had an outcome that they felt was, was a good one. Acceptable so, to, to um, both sides, I might add, which I thought was interesting, that even the dairy industry acceded to the concept that, you know, okay, it was going to cost them a few extra bucks up front, but uh, in terms of, you know, not having to worry about, um, you know, uh, abatement and cleanups and whatnot afterwards, should a disaster occur, you know, it really was better for them, which I thought was, you right. know, a, a sort of smart of them finally to recognize. And, you know, there are a lot of parallels here between... Um, with uh, what's been going on in New York State uh, vis-a-vis fracking, hydrofracking upstate, right. um, because again, it's it's a it's an issue of groundwater, of residential water rights, and so on, and uh, and an industry which is you know absolutely determined to make a big buck, and um, and I attended the um, the hearing recently with the. Um, Department of Environmental um, Conservation, which was very, very well attended here in New York in all of the hearings. There were four of them throughout the state. And um, and boy, you know, people really had their homework done. They got up there and, and if this, you know, if the... <laughs> If the Department of Environmental Conservation does not write really powerful regulations for this, then I, you know, then basically they are as corrupt as any organization anywhere in any part of this world, because there was just no question of how dangerous this process could be, potentially to not just New York City, but to, you know, agriculture all over the state and 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 in surrounding states. But anyway, I'm going to take, again, a very short break, and we're going to come right back with a sort of a national uh, slant to this conversation. We only have a few more minutes, Sam. So um, uh, bear with me, and we'll be right back with Straight No Chaser and my guest, Sam Fromartz. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. My name is Katie Kiefer. I'm your host, and my guest on the line today is Sam Fromartz. Sam is a journalist who has been very active in the food and food politics for the last probably 20 years, right? And uh, we are discussing his new journal, uh, which is the Food and Environmental Reporting Network. Uh, This is going to be a powerful new tool uh, to access information about the agricultural community, about environmental regulations, and about the uh, intersection between food and environment and how that will have an impact on all of our lives. So, Sam, um, thanks again for joining me. And let's, uh, in this last section, let's just talk about um, what what do you feel are the most important aspects of these three disciplines of, you know, food, agriculture, and environmental health that you feel the, the public really would be well served to understand more about? You know, what a what are, what are the parts that that are missing from everyday um, conversation about food and environment? Well, I, I think the public's beginning to understand it better. But I would say the most important thing about about these three areas, food, agriculture, and environmental health, is that they're you know is that they're all connected. Um, you know the way we the way we 
grow food the way the way we eat, um, you know, invest, affects the environment, and you know, and the way we we do things, uh, you know, in our agricultural systems can 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 affect can affect uh, you know environmental health as well. And um, I mean, uh, you know, so so I think understanding those linkages, looking at them, and I think that that sort of you know. Um, the whole idea of you know knowing where your food comes from, I think, comes out of that. It's like where you know it's not just a disembodied product at the supermarket, but but what actually goes into to making that you know making that um, you know making that steak or, or or producing that that gallon of milk. And I think that's you know that's kind of the linkage that linkages that people are you know have become you know, much more interested in, you know, I think spurred on by, you know, Michael Pollan and others, you know. Um, and uh, um, I think that's that's the kind of, um, you know, understanding that that that, that we'd like to, um, you know, promote or, or to, to provide. Um, and, uh, you know, it really comes from talking to producers, understanding, you know, farmers, understanding, you know, agricultural systems, all of that. And so, uh, you know, most people maybe would, would, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be on the necessarily on the front pages of newspapers all the time. But I think, I think as as issues about, you know, the availability of food, food access, how we're going to produce food in a, in a warming, warming climate, all of those issues are, I think, are going to become more important in the coming year. There's no question they'll be more important. The, the question is whether or not the public will pick them up and, and recognize just how important they are, uh, not just to their personal health, but also to the health of their of the planet they live on. Um, so to talk about systems for a second, I mean, and, and sort of in the context of the upcoming Farm Bill, um, what changes do you see or what changes could happen to our food system that would continue to provide as much food as we will need in the coming, you know, decades, uh, but which may be more environmentally viable, for instance, um, you know, industrial scale agriculture using the amount of water that it uses, for instance, just to, uh, you know, say grow corn or to, uh, you know, manage waste or whatever it is. I mean, just the, the sort of the intersection between water use and agriculture, how are we going to manage that industrial scale farming without tapping out the resources that you know we need to continue life on the planet? Basically, <laughs> let's right, answer, right. answer the biggest well, question. You know, obviously, that, that, that you know that, that's a concern. I, I think the are you the God? Issue, <laughs> I, you know, I think the bigger issue is is kind of uh, you know, and I think we saw it a couple of years ago when when food prices spiked, and we didn't really feel it you know in our country, but but globally that was. You know that was huge. Oh yeah, people were um, rioting it, over the price right, of rice. Yeah, right. And I think um, you know regimes and politicians have known for you know millennium that you know when there's a lack of food, um, it leads to political instability. Mm-hmm. So um, you know if if any of these you know issues kind of lead in that direction, I think I think there will be more sort of emphasis and concern on these issues. And, you know, I think one, you know, one area obviously was, you know, with ethanol production. And, you know, there's, there's debates about how much that influenced, you know, prices of, of, of you know, commodities and, and, and their, their relative scarcity. But I think most, 
you know, most people would say, well, yeah, it's it's had an impact on prices, it's had an impact on on supplies, and you know, uh, uh, and so it's had an impact of you know, on food. And I think those kind of things are you know going to become more stark, um, you know, as as populations increase, and um, and so I think we're going to have to make you know smarter smarter decisions. I just hope that the decisions won't have to come out of crises. <laughs> you know, but that's yes. usually how decisions do get made. Um, I wish they could be, you know, I wish that they could be made in a more deliberative way. Well, what I, I fear the most, of course, is the, you know, the stranglehold, uh, to refer back to what we were talking about earlier with uh, the sort of hand-in-glove arrangement between government and industry, and the stranglehold that uh, industrialized agriculture has over policymaking and our congressmen who seem to be, um, you know, the denial of, of obvious facts like climate change and not wanting to address the impact that's going to have on crops. And, and this is, you know, this is we have this moment now to to work in some different allocations in the farm bill. And, and yet you get the sense, or at least I do, that uh, that most of these guys who are going to be voting on the farm bill really are not terribly well informed uh, on a more global perspective, they they seem to be very narrowly focused on what is going to benefit the industry that basically sends them to Congress and funds their campaigns, and and it's a, right. you know it's a very discouraging um, a very discouraging outlook as far as I'm concerned. I, I feel no no optimism whatsoever uh, that there will be any significant changes in our agricultural policy in the coming five years, and I feel like this is a critical five years in which we have to address some very major problems. But I don't see, right. for instance, the cattle industry backing down and saying, "Hey, we're not going to do, you know, we're, we're, we've decided we're going to abandon CAFOs or or that the corn lobby is going to say, you know what, we're going to go back to some row crops now." I mean, it ain't just right. going to happen. Right. Well, the, the interesting thing though is, uh, you, you know, I mean, there, there's powerful interests that are always, you know, in support of the status quo because once you stay, change the status quo, obviously, you know, those who have been in a favorite position from it, you know are going to lose something. And so, you know, it's their in, in their interest to keep things the same. But but on the other hand, you know, when you when you look at look at farmers and kind of what they're facing in the real world to, you know, take climate change, you're beginning to hear, you know, farmers who are saying, well, we can't grow the same types of crops that we grew before. Right. Or, you know, or, you know, our planting dates are different or it's getting hotter in the summer, so it's you know, it's more difficult, say, to grow grow wheat, or um, you know, well, or the drought so in they, Texas. Farmers are very attuned to climate. I mean, probably more than than anyone else. I mean, if you even if you have a, if you have a garden, I mean, you're more attuned to what's happening to the weather than than you than you would be if you just you know if you didn't and just worked in a climate controlled office all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think they're you know these people are very attuned to things and they know things are changing and. Um, you know, whether that, uh, you know, causes them to, you know, I mean, they're, they're, ha- they're, they're changing methods already, whether it's going to cause any, you know, larger changes, you know, it's, it's, it remains to be seen. But, but, but my only point is that, um, you know, this may be reactive on their part, but, but, but change is coming just because, you know, in a sense it's already here. So yeah. what what that translates to in in terms of major policy changes, you know, I you know I don't know I, w- I wouldn't I wouldn't expect a lot as I said status quo is, you know has you know vested interests have a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you know reason to sort of protect to protect the status quo. Oh, so for sure. you know 
Unfortunately. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no. So, so yeah, my only point is that, that I, you know, as I said, I would, I would hope that, that as people recognize the changes that are happening, say, on their own farms, that, that it does lead to some, you know, attempts at deliberative policy rather than sort of crisis-driven policy. Right. Exactly. Well, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up here, Sam. So um, I want to thank you very much for being on the program. Can you tell us, uh, give us an idea of like where people can find more information about Fern, more information about ChooseWise and any other projects that you're working on? I know you have a bread or grains book coming in uh, shortly. Right. So um, let's, let's just quickly give our listeners a, a sense of where right. else they can learn more from Sam Fromarts. Right. Well, for, for the Fern, if they just go to thefern.org, that's our website, and ChooseWise, as, uh, as you mentioned, is, is my blog, C-H-E-W-S, uh, and ChooseWise, W-I-S-E. Um, and, yeah, just on, on my current project, I'm, I'm working on a, on a book about bread and grains, and it's going to look into everything from, you know, how you bake a loaf of bread to, you know, what's happened to wheat over, you know, the past few centuries and how that's affected, you know, everything from, you know, our nutritional intake to, to various other health outcomes. So it's going to be kind of a wide-ranging book on the topic of uh, bread and grains and 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 bakers. So that sounds that sounds great. When is that coming out? Uh, I'm is not that... sure when it's coming out, but hopefully it'll be done uh, sometime next year. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you haven't finished writing it, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. So we can assume no. it'll be at least nine months after you write it. So <laughs> right, 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 exactly. right. Well, we'll have you back then, right. if not before. Um, thank you so, so much for joining me today, Sam. It's really been a pleasure and a great pleasure to um, finally sort of meet you. Viva voce. And um, we'll be gone for the next couple of weeks. But um, the first week of January, I am very pleased and happy to announce that uh, Congresswoman Shelley Pingree from the great state of Maine is my guest. Um, talking about her role in agriculture and agricultural committees. And then we have great shows coming up after that. So have a happy holiday, folks, and I wish you all the best for 2012. This is Katie Kiefer on Straight No Chaser. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.